Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at antiochchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. Oh, let me, hold on, wait, I can't stand, okay. Um, I'm super glad to be here. I feel like we're on the Sea of Galilee, and uh, we're, we're having a feast out here. So let us just pray real quick. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for my siblings and Bend and for the opportunity to be here. May you shine your face upon us this morning. And may what I have the privilege of participating with your spirit to proclaim be pleasing to your ears. And we do these things in the name and the authority of the Son. Amen. So all I want to do is bring some encouragement to y'all. Um, I'm, I'm actually really excited to be here, and I'm going to squint a little so I can see y'all faces, because I like to do a little bit of interaction here. But what I want to do is just encourage you, and today we are celebrating one of the greatest days in history, Pentecost. This is a day that believers around the world have been celebrating for centuries, and we will continue to celebrate because God has poured out his spirit on us. And that is worth praising. And what's intriguing, though, is that God had been prefacing what he planned to do on Pentecost throughout the biblical story. If you pay close attention to the story, you'll see that many of the elements that took place in Acts chapter 2 were fulfillments or recaps of what God has been doing throughout the story of Scripture. So we're going to dive into these fulfillments and recaps, and we're going to do it in phases. But in order to do that, we got to start with Acts chapter 2. And of course, it's Pentecost, so we got to read it. So verse 1, if you got a a phone or a physical Bible or you just got it memorized, kudos to you. Here we go. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are these are all are not all these who speak who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia? Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors of Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. So everybody and their mom was here, apparently. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said... They are filled with new wine. So what's going on here? Thousands of people, of Jewish people from every direction on the compass has come to Jerusalem. They've come from other Middle Eastern regions, from the Mediterranean islands, from North Africa. What else am I missing? From Asia Minor. They're coming from everywhere to celebrate this holiday season of Pentecost. And according to Jewish tradition, Pentecost, which means 50, keep that in mind, became the celebration of two major things. Number one, it was the Feast of Weeks. 
This was an agricultural festival, festival where Pentecost was 50 days after Passover. Right after, the, right after the Passover, the Israelites would wave the first fruits of the harvest to God. These first fruits represented the entire harvest, and this waving was a declaration that all that would come belonged to God because he is the one who sustains and grows in the first place. He is the one who provides for his people. After this offering, there were seven weeks, 49 days that passed, and that's why it's called the Feast of Weeks. And the number seven was, was symbolic of completion. So on the 50th day of Pentecost, it symbolized that their harvest had been completed. Are you with me? And then number two, it was the giving of the Torah. And to be honest, I'm still kind of confused on how the Jews calculated all of this, but they believed that 50 days after they were delivered from Egypt and slavery, after the Passover, God established his covenant with them at Sinai. And he gave them his teachings on how to be his people, a.k.a. the Torah. So the Feast of Weeks and the giving of the Torah was what every Jew was coming to celebrate. And that's how we end up in Acts chapter 2. So here's the timeline. Fifty days to, to Acts chapter 2, Passover had taken place where Jesus was crucified and he came back from the dead. Then he spent 40 days with his followers, teaching them more about the kingdom of God. And he commissioned them to spread his way of life to the ends of the earth. However, right before he ascended to the Father, he told them, hey, I need y'all to go to Jerusalem and stay there. Because the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and he's going to empower you to go do what I need you to go do. The Holy Spirit came 10 days after he ascended to the Father. And now it's the day of Pentecost and they are waiting in Jerusalem just as he told them. And the Holy Spirit comes in like a rushing wind. We have a song that keys that phrase, right? Like a Anyways, <laughs> he comes in like a rushing wind with fire, filling each disciple in that house. And they began to proclaim the works of God in various languages. And this caught the attention of the surrounding Jews. Because why? They started hearing these Galileans who spoke in Aramaic, speaking in languages that are far from them proclaiming the mighty works of God. So everybody's like, what in the heck is going on? So some were confused, some were amazed, and some mocked by claiming that these disciples were drunk on some wine. And as you follow along in the rest of the chapter, Peter gets up with the, the other 11 apostles, and he gives his first sermon in the church's birth. 3,000 people come to faith on that day. So what... I'm going to argue is that not only does God birth his church on Pentecost, but he is, his birthing of the church was a fulfillment of his purposes for humanity throughout the biblical story. Are you still with me? So we're going to break it down in five phases. Number one, creation. Our sister read that in Korean. God created humans to be his image on earth, and he called for them to reign over the rest of creation on his behalf. In order to do so, humans needed to be fruitful and to multiply and spread all over the earth and bring it under the reign of God. And now at Pentecost, the Spirit of God creates a new humanity whom he would craft into the image of Jesus on the earth. And they would be fruitful and multiply by making new disciples. Think about it. All the Jews who came to faith on this day, would now take the way of Jesus back to their homelands. 
spreading all over the earth, and they would bring creation under the reign of Jesus. Phase number two, the Tower of Babel, which our brother read in Spanish. After the fall of Eden and the flood, humanity was starting afresh, and they settled in a place named Shinar, later known as Babylon, and they all spoke one common language, and they decided to build a city and a tower, which was actually a ziggurat. And in the ancient world, these structures were believed to be the gateways to the heavenly realms. And they desired to make a name for themselves, to make a notable reputation around the world for who they are. And they did not want to be scattered over the earth, which is in direct rebellion of what God wanted them to do in the first place. Spread. And they said, no, we're good. We're going to kick it right here. So God went down to the city and he caused the people to speak in different languages so that they would be confused in order for them to go spread all over the world as he intended in the first place. And side note, real quick, God was not punishing humanity with diversity and variety in languages. He was actually pushing forward what he wanted in the first place. So God was so determined to redeem what took place at Babel because at Pentecost, follow me now, everyone was gathered in one place in Jerusalem and they could all speak one common language. And what was it? Greek. Because the world was Hellenized. However, these disciples were not trying to make a name for themselves. They were trying to lift up the name of Jesus. Are you following me? Because I could barely... I could barely see y'all faces, so here we go. <laughs> but they were waiting for the Spirit to arrive so they could be empowered to spread the name and reputation of Jesus. This is the opposite of the Babel narrative. Then God came down to the city. And what did he do? He caused them to speak in different languages. But this was not for the sake of confusing them to spread all over the world. This is so that the mighty works of God will be understood all over the world. This is worth rejoicing in, brothers and sisters. God used various languages to separate people at Babel, but now he used various languages to unify people from all over the world. Phase three. Y'all ain't even know. Y'all was getting Bible one-on-one this morning. Phase three, Abraham's family. After the Tower of Babel, God chose Abraham and Sarah to be the ones through whom he would create a new people. And he promised them three main things, a promised land, that they would have an innumerable amount of descendants, and that they, their family would bring blessing to the other families of the earth. So at Pentecost, what happens? The children, there's thousands of children of, of Abraham and Sarah in Jerusalem, in the promised land, doing what? Coming to Jesus, the Messiah, the seed of Abraham. And it is through this seed, it is through Jesus that blessing now goes out to the other families of the earth because salvation is open to all peoples through Jesus. It is through the children of Abraham and Sarah that, who were now empowered by the Spirit that the message of rescue and restoration in Jesus will be made known to the ends of the earth. That is why we are here. Because these 120 or so folks were able to spread all over the world. In addition to the 3,000 that, or, or the other, you know, I can't, I ain't got my math right now. But according to the hundreds of people that go out and spread thousands of years later, we are the result of that. Okay. 
Phase four. <laughs> Mount Sinai. The Israelites were set free from the slavery in Egypt by God after the slaughtering of the Passover lambs, which the blood covered the doorpost, and the taking of the firstborn sons in the Passover plague. In 50 days after Passover, the Israelites were gathered together at Mount Sinai where the presence of God resided at the top of the mountain. His presence was physically seen and heard through smoke and storm winds and fire and thunder. And they received the covenant from him and they received the Torah, which provided God's teachings for the Israelites. Sadly, while God was giving instructions to Moses at the top of the mountain, the Israelites were rebelling already at the bottom, worshiping the golden calf. And as a result, 3,000 people died. Oh, sorry. So y'all can see where I'm going with this one. Pentecost. Now in Acts chapter 2, 50 days after Passover, where Jesus, the Passover lamb, was slaughtered and his blood now covers our sin. It washes it away. And his life as the firstborn son of all creation was taken in order to set his people free from the slavery of sin and death. Fifty days later, his followers were gathered together in Jerusalem where the Holy Spirit's presence came in like a trumpet, like a blowing wind with fire. Are you catching the correlation? And they received the new covenant, and he was going to be the teacher that would teach them how to follow Jesus, how to obey his commands, how to proclaim his name all over the world, how to display the way of Jesus to every nation, tongue, and tribe. And as a result, 3,000 people, they don't die. They come to eternal life in Jesus. All right, y'all not with me yet. That's fine. Phase five. Here we go. <laughs> Pentecost harvest. As stated before, right after Passover, the Israelites would wave the first fruits of the harvest before God, and then they would go through a wheat harvest that lasted seven weeks in the spring. When the day of Pentecost came, the 50th day after Passover, I keep reiterating this stuff, the Israelites would give thanks to God for completing the harvest, and they would enjoy by feasting together at the end of it. So you can see where we're going. Now we're at Pentecost. After the Passover, Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and he is the first fruits of the resurrection that will happen to everyone who believes in him. Oh, I heard somebody. <laughs> and over the course of seven weeks, God was harvesting a people for himself. And on the 50th day, the Holy Spirit came to reap the harvest, and he birthed the church whom then enjoyed feasting together by doing what? Partaking in the Lord's Supper together. The Jews came to Jerusalem thinking they were celebrating the harvest, but God was planning on harvesting them. And you and I are the products of God's harvesting. And the harvest is not over yet. God is still on mission to redeem and restore his image bearers. He will fulfill his purpose to be with his people. God's desire has always been to be with us. He was so determined 
to be with us, that he became a human himself and even subjected himself to death. But that's not the end of the story. This, this God comes back to life by the power of the Spirit of God. And then he says, this Spirit of God is not just for me. I'm going to pour it out on all of my people. Sorry, I'm just animated, y'all. I'm geeked. This is Pentecost. Come on. Y'all clap for Jesus. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. (laughs) So the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that that, that has been poured out on his people. And his spirit is the evidence that he is with us. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit was the promise of the new covenant. And the new covenant is a better one. Why? Because God's presence is no longer residing in a, in a temple in Jerusalem. Now his presence is in all of us. His temple is now composed of living, mobile human bricks. You and I are bricks among thousands of others in which Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And now when people desire to encounter the living God, they don't have to fly or pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They get to come to a park. This is Drake Park. They get to come to Drake Park in Bend, Oregon. Why? Because his presence is on every continent. North, South America, Africa, Asia, Australia, (laughs) Europe, and and even Antarctica with the penguins, okay? He's everywhere. Amen. And it started with Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. We have been harvested by God, and we now have been called to participate in this harvesting, just like those who've come before us. We who are in the Son have been filled and empowered by his Holy Spirit, y'all, to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, for our hearts to be like his heart, for our characters to be like his character, for our lives to be like his, and one day for our beings, for our essences to be resurrected like that of Jesus. What happened to him will happen to us. That is the promise. However, the Spirit doesn't transform us for our own sakes. We aren't being transformed just for us to feel good about ourselves. Like, yeah, I'm I'm doing all right. I look like Jesus. No, it's for the sake of others. We ain't being transformed so that we will go, go out and call others to participate, to come and taste and see for themselves the goodness of God. We are only here because someone else told us about Jesus. So why would we not go out and do that for somebody else? Oh, well, you know, my Enneagram is this, so I don't really feel... You think God care about your Enneagram number? Go tell people about Jesus. <laughs> oh, you know, my Myers-Briggs personality. T- Man, no, nobody cares. Introverted, extroverted, it don't matter. We are all called to participate. Now, how we participate looks different, but we're all on mission. Jesus is calling. And it's not that Antioch Church has a few ministers. It's that it has several dozens of ministers. The ones who come up and, 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 and equip and push you forward, that's their job. Amy, Kip, Pete, everybody else, Sean, they, their goal is to, is to push you out. 
to equip you, to say, yo, here are some tools where you can go take this thing out. And then all of you go into your, fear, your spheres of interaction and influence. That's your workplaces. That's your schools. That's your own households. It's wherever you may go, we proclaim the name of Jesus, not just by word, but in deed. Are you with me still? And we participate in the mission of God to redeem his creation. What I'm not saying is that you need to go around your neighborhood just yelling the name of Jesus at the top of your lungs all the time. Or in your hallways. But what I am saying is what you say matters. What you do matters. What you think matters. Why? Because we are representing, we are bearing the name of Jesus the King in every space that we're in. Woo, okay. But when I'm, when I'm trying to communicate is that God is faithful to complete his work. This is where we'll land the plane. The coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was a major shift in human history. There's never been anything like it. It is the evidence that we will one day experience being a part of a Revelation 7 gathering of God's people. Because what God starts... He will finish. In the beginning, God created humanity to reside and reign with him. And then a whole bunch of stuff happened, right? But in the end, what will happen? We, a renewed humanity, will do just that. We will reign and reside with him forever. We are co-heirs with Christ. Well, we will reign over new creation. What? You telling me I get to rule with Jesus forever? Yeah, man, that's, that's what it's saying. That's something to look forward to. All right, let me not preach yet. Hold on, let me go back. Okay, here we go. God desired for humanity to be the epitome of diversity and union, and that is what we are. We are a kaleidoscope of all ethnicities, languages, and families. In other words, we are a kaleidoscope of every nation, tongue, and tribe. God promised to give Abraham and Sarah as many children as the stars, and that is what we are. We are children of Abraham and Sarah because we are in Yeshua, the Messiah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> here we go. God committed himself to a people through making a covenant with them. Isn't Okay, real quick, side tangent. Um, isn't it cool that God, like, commits himself to a people? through a covenant, like he chooses to bind himself to humanity. God doesn't have to do none of that. Like God was sufficient all in of himself. He, Father, Son, and Spirit, they were kicking it for all of eternity's past. And all of a sudden they said, as an outflow of our love for one another, we want to create stuff. And then not only are we going to create them, they're also going to rebel against us, but we are still going to stick by our plan to love and be with them. What? Anyways, here we are. I just, I don't know about you. That bugs me out. So he commits to a people through covenant, and he, te he taught them how to live as his people, and we are the people who he made a new covenant with, and his spirit teaches us how to live out the way of Jesus. You know, again, Amy, where you at? I said this. I was like, I'm going to go off my notes. This is what it is. Um, 
What I, what I, oh man. This on camera too? All right, whatever. <laughs> what I, what I have a hard time realizing is that sometimes we take things that Jesus was really specific on when it comes to his way of life and we try to make it really broad. For example, he said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And in our, our larger society, even in our church spaces, we go, so like, what does that mean? Like, you the way, you the truth, of the life. Like, the way among many? Is my truth my truth? Your truth is your truth? You live out your truth? Huh, life. What does that mean? You seem to be a little too specific there, Jesus. And then on the flip side, sometimes we try to specify things Jesus was really broad about. For example, love your neighbor. That's a really broad command, right? So, like, who's my neighbor? Like, you, you talking about the person across the street? You talking about the, the, the person that is on the side of the street that is asking for help? The person that agrees with me and everything that I believe? Like, who, who's my neighbor? Let us not specify what Jesus was really broad about, and let's not try to broaden what Jesus was really specific on. We obey his teachings, and we leave them as they are. And we are the evidence as a result that God is still in the harvesting business. That is why we refuse to lose heart in the midst of the chaos going on in our country. Breathe for a little bit. I'm not going to go too heavy at this. Relax. But we are not hopeless. It is impossible for followers of Jesus to be hopeless because he is coming back. And he has given us his spirit in the meantime. And I'll tell you what. We get into all of these, like, really just meticulous, they, just arguments that don't matter about how all of the end time stuff is going to happen. None of that matters. You want to know what matters? Jesus is returning. I don't care what, oh, excuse me. <laughs> I don't care what it looks like in the meantime. Why are we arguing about that? The reality is what is certain is that his spirit is in all of us. It is in his church globally, and he is returning to make things right, but he hasn't left us idle in the meantime. The spirit of God is with us and in us, and he is still working in our world, in our country, in our state, in this city, in your neighborhood, in your household, and in your heart. He is still harvesting like he was on the day of Pentecost, and he is faithful to complete whatever he starts. That is why we keep pushing no matter who the governing powers are, no matter what media tries to say is going on in our world, no matter how long COVID is around, because nothing can stop him. Not our divisions in the church, not our culture wars, nothing will get in his way of expanding his family or dwelling with us. The giving of his spirit is the evidence of this. And I promise you, these are my last couple statements, so bear with me. Let us pray for the spirit to make us more like Jesus, that we would be shaped more and more into his image instead of trying to shape him into ours. 
If your Jesus looks more like you, that's not Jesus. That's you. <laughs> oh, man. There's a million, 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 gajillion counterfeit Jesuses in the world. But there's only one biblical Jesus. And he's the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the first chapter of Acts. <laughs> he's the Jesus that is reigning. All these counterfeit Jesus that we tend to shape into our own image are false idols. So I'm going to leave that there, okay? Let us pray for the boldness of the Spirit to declare Jesus as king in our spheres of influence and interaction, that we will be able to articulate why Jesus and his kingdom are good news for all people. A gospel message that just talks about people's sinfulness and need for repentance and that we can be with him forever is not holistic. People need a message that addresses their here and now as well. I mean, as well. So a message that states, hey, Jesus' alternative way of life in his kingdom is truly good news for your life. We need to be able to articulate why to different contexts of people. We need a holistic view. Let us pray for the Spirit's guidance on how to practice and obey the teachings and commands of Jesus in our cultural context. And let us pray for more people to come into the family of God. And this is where I'll end. And let us give thanks for the institution of communion, where we give thanks for the presence of God with us. His body was broken, his blood was shed, and his spirit has been poured out. And to that, we say hallelujah. Amen? So let me pray. Father, I just want to say thank you again for my siblings. Oh, man. We are in the midst of what seems to be chaos in our world. Actually, there is chaos. And the kingdom of darkness is trying to run rampant in the streets of many nations and cities. But your kingdom has come into this world and the gates of hell will not prevail. So we are not on the defense. We are on the offensive fighting and destroying the tactics and plans of the enemy because you, Jesus, have won it all. And thank you for calling us to participate. For my siblings, they participate here in Bend, Oregon. Thank you that your spirit is in this place and that your spirit is in each one of us. And we come to the table to remember what the Son has done to make all of this possible in the first place. And to him, we sing hallelujah. In his authority, in his name, we ask and just say and proclaim these things. Amen.